0: the book of 2 Samuel. And we'll be picking up in chapter 2. King Saul, the king of Israel, has died in battle along with his son Jonathan and some of his other sons. And the Amalekite brought a message to David that Saul was dead. He took The Amalekite took credit for killing Saul. And either, if you harmonize 1 Samuel, the end of the book where Saul falls on his sword with his armor bearer and the story of the Amalekite, either the Amalekite fabricated his story or he came upon the scene after that. At any rate, he brought the crown of Saul to David expecting reward and David of course, who spared Saul twice on occasion that were recorded for us in the scriptures did not spare the Amalekite and again, the irony of the Amalekite being the one to bring the news of Saul's death because Saul refused to uh, eradicate the Amalekites the perpetual enemies of Israel and it was for not doing that that got Saul rejected by the Lord in the first place from being king. So it's amazing irony of how that works out. So as we come to chapter 2, David has returned from rescuing his wives and the kids and the families of his 400 men from the Amalekite raiders, which are a separate group of Amalekites, and getting all the plunder back. He's no longer associated with the Philistines and all that. He's there in the wilderness, at Ziglag and the city's burnt out like the Amalekites burned the city so their city's destroyed but they're there they've got all their goods they had additional wealth that they got from the Amalekites as you recall that he sowed that into the leaders of the various cities and villages of the tribe of Judah in the south there we talked about how he invested in his future instead of spending all the money and having a silly party with it he invested it in the future and so that's where he left off he's there And he's at a key juncture because he's no longer in the season of trials, tribulations, and testings when he's on the run from King Saul trying to kill him. That's over. He doesn't have to pretend he's a madman with the Philistines anymore and do all that stuff he had to do. Now he's just waiting on the Lord in this place. Life, the only way he knew it for the last decade is over. It's done. And they're just in a transitory state of mind as to, what's going to come next and what do we do next and it is this background that we pick it up in chapter two where now the lord is on the move and we might call tonight's message and so it begins because now he's really going to enter into even though he's been prepared in the past when being chased by saul and all that he went through now he's really going to enter into that great anointing and destiny of his calling to be the king of Israel and now that is the next thing and so it begins it happened after this that David inquired of the Lord saying shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah and the Lord said to him go up and David said where shall I go up and he the Lord responded and said to Hebron so David went up there and his two wives also Ahonim the Jezreelite and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite and David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household. So they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came out there, and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabez-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh gilead and said to them, You are blessed, of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness because you've done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hand be strengthened and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead. And also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishabath, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim and made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, the Jezreelites, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. In other words, the other 11 tribes. And Ishabeth's son, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Which is a random number, by the way. Seven and a half. You know, the Bible tends to have like 40 years, seven weeks. You know, it is very random. Seven and a half years, the training and the preparation of David to become the king of all Israel while he's the king of Judah. But then there's no randomness with God, and he can, his time is always right on time in his timeline and his works. But again, now he's in this text. He's gone from fleeing for his life, fiending madness with the Philistines, rescuing his family of 600 men, all this stuff, and just like, okay, what, what's next? Because really what he has up to this point in time is the memory of being anointed to be king by Samuel the prophet, who's dead and gone the sword of Goliath, which is proof of his victory over the enemies of Israel, and the memory of giving Saul his spear back and being grateful they didn't actually put the spear through Saul, but let God deal with Saul the way he chose to. His first wife was taken from him and given to another man, so he's got that on the table to work through, and this is this is his life at this moment, and he's got to go forward. You know, it's always forward, right? It's always forward with the Lord, like he's Like it says there in Philippians, onward, upward, forward, you know, forward, onward, upward. And it's always forward with the Lord. It's just so important to never forget that there's a, his mercies are new every day and there's a new plan and whatever we're looking at, our burned out city, our uncertain future and one person at this point in time bears witness that you're the king plus the 600 men that are following you who were in distress, in debt and discontented when they came to you. And it's like. There's there's something that's forward with the Lord. There's the next step. There's the next thing with the Lord. And that's what we have to figure out right now. And sometimes we want to manufacture it and get it going. But other times, we got to wait on the Lord, like it says in Isaiah. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, and they'll be like they're young again, and they'll fly, and they'll soar. And sometimes we have to wait to really know. Because the Bible tells us a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And we're told to acknowledge him in all of our ways and lean not on our own understanding. So there's this delicate balance of having the plan, getting a sense of direction, but making sure that that's before the Lord. We don't want to get in front of the Lord and we don't want to be dragged behind by the Lord. We want the Lord leading us and we're just going forward exactly what God wants us to do. And in this text, as we think about this overall topic, and so it begins, this is that brand new beginning. I was thinking about this. In the last two years, so many people I love and care about have had tremendous, dramatic new beginnings, where they lost their jobs, or their businesses closed, they were let go. Maybe they've had health issues. They've had different things that have come up. Maybe they lost a loved one. And the way your life was on December 31st, 2019, you could have never guessed what time would bring you in the next two years. All the people that I know that have moved on in times past, they have moved to Idaho, and they, it was a new beginning a couple years ago, and now they're settled in, and that's their life, like the Foster's and the Rose's and other people that we love that have a, a legacy and a history with us here. I saw Jesse Bonesty here the other night, one of our former deacons from way back in the day. He's in Arizona, and he's going forward, and you know, like he went through some of those tough things in life that you go through, divorce, heartache, things like that, and you still got to go forward, right? It's always forward. You don't stop living because you got divorced. You don't stop living because you're a widow or a widower or whatever. Like You got to go forward. You don't stop living because you lost your job or you had to move, or you've got poor health. It's always forward, and there's always a plan to go forward. And sometimes, like I mentioned in the last week or so, God might give you a pretty good timeout to adjust to going forward. Other times, He's like, "No, this is a short timeout. This is a 20 second timeout, like in the NBA. This is a short timeout. You would want more of a timeout, but there, this is it. It's going to happen. And you got to figure out the next step. And then, like so often, like we do as human beings." We just hopefully seek the Lord and make the best plan we can come up with by the Lord and just take the next step. And just faith is a journey, and it's a, it's a, it's a fluid journey. It's not static. It doesn't, it's not stale and sits, but we're going forward. So our faith is always in motion, and sometimes like, oops, that's a wrong turn. That's not our exit, like a road trip. Oh, get back on and get going forward. And so I've thought about all the dramatic changes many of us here, even tonight, have been through in the last couple of years. And then I was thinking about the high school graduations. Randy Crosco's daughter graduated yesterday from high school. She's class president, so you know there was a post of her speaking at the graduation. That's that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'd be proud of that for sure. I told her when well, my kids were dean's listed at college, you know, it's like that's something to be proud of when your daughter's speaking as a class president. And what a joy for Randy! She's off to Point Loma Nazarene. That's a profound new beginning. Our son Timmy is going to a Point Loma Nazarene. God closed that door. You yeah, have at Cal State Maritime so many years ago. That's just life, right? And we realize that there's profound things that change that you have no choice over. You got to let go. You got to sell the house, whatever. This is the way you're going to make it. You got to move to another state, lower your cost of living. But there's just different things. You get these changes in life. Some you choose, some you don't. This is the cuss of big change. And again, it's always forward. So really, when anyone tells you what's next in their life, you should look at them and say, that's the next great thing. Because your best day can never be behind you with the Lord. Don't ever think your best day is behind you with the Lord. In my mind, that's completely unacceptable. I was joking with Scott Cunningham before service. He's in the Salty videos back in the 80s, DVDs. They say there were something now, too, by the way, the VHS players, the VHS players. My kids watched him and John Randall. I go, Your best day could never be insulting because John Randall was a star and you were a sidekick. That can't be your best day. And that's an inside joke with John Randall because we love John Randall down there in, in San Clemente. He was like, No, that's not your best day. He, Scott's best day is not 20 years doing school worship at Big Calvary. That's uh, awesome, what he did at Calvary Costa Mesa. That's not his best day. I would never accept from anyone to tell me when they're 49 their best day was last year when they were 48. My best day is in front of me with Jesus because it's always forward. Our best day is always in front of us. And when you look at this text, you have to realize the best, you know, when we started this church, I used to say the best is yet to come. That was kind of my little jingle in the first year of WG. Daniel, you probably remember that. Oh, the whole first year, I was like, that was my little brand. You're like, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. You know, like, and it's like, I kind of let it go because Brian Jameson really liked that. and We let him have it. So we kind of gave that to him. You know, i trademarked other stuff, so we'll give him the best is yet to come. Remember when the first one you heard, enjoy the journey, was from me. Now everybody says it. But the best is yet to come. And I believe that for me and for you. The trials you're in, the new beginnings. You know, the Bible tells us up to the last day people are going to be married and given in marriage. Life is going to go on. There's going to be weddings and there's going to be funerals. and There's going to be bar mitzvahs and everything else in between. You know, just Life's going to go on. And we got to believe in Jesus' name when we wake up, if we're giving our life to Christ, that truly the best day is in front of us. And I'm going to believe that till my last day. Always forward and something new in the Lord. Always growing, always going forward. And that's why I I, I explain this in detail because we need to look at this text and realize you may not be about to become the king or the queen, but you are in front of your destiny and your calling with the Lord. You are in front of the best that God has for you right now. If you choose to accept that and believe that. And to live by faith and walk by faith. Our best day is in front of us in Jesus' name. Jesus on the cross, the empty tomb, tongues of fire on the day of Pentecost, ascension to the right hand of the Father, and the promise coming in glory to split the Mount of Olives is not your best days behind you. It's your best days in front of you in Jesus' name. And that's the way it is for David. So when you look at this text and think about the overall context, how profound it is in his life right now, this moment, it is massive. So it begins. It's a big new beginning for David. Yours might be big. It might be subtle, but there's always new chapters and new beginnings. Malia graduated high school. No more high school. Sophie's getting married with Andrew tomorrow. No more being single. Right? When Troy graduates police academy. No more police academy. Nice, really, cop. When he left the air force. No longer in the air force. It's life. Right? It's life. So keep that in mind. Now, as we think about these beginnings and so it begins, it's so crucial, it's so obvious, but we have to go back to the basics. What do baseball players do every spring when they go to Arizona or Florida? They practice hitting, fielding, and pitching. It's always the basics. It's always the basics. If you're at the Charger football camp this summer and you're running back, and I tell you, take care of the ball. <laughs> don't take care of the ball hold your blocks when you're blocking for your quarterback like soft hands to catch the pass. like life is always goes back to the basics and the basis with the Lord is seek the Lord first seek first his kingdom and all his righteousness and then everything else will be added to you we've already seen in the life of David he inquires of the Lord he inquires of the Lord he inquires of the Lord and the Bible tells us Jesus said seek knock and ask and he'll speak and he'll guide us and we need to inquire of the Lord. And it says there in verse 1 that it happened after this. So, this key juncture that David inquired of the Lord. Now, when he inquired of the Lord, he asked some, some pretty specific questions. And I think this is where our text gets really practical tonight. The first question is what do I do? What's next? Shall I go up to the cities of Judah? That's what's on his mind. That's his thought. Shall I go up to the tribe of Judah? Because he's from the tribe of Judah. It seems like Pastor Chuck Smith used to say this a lot, that common sense more often than not is the best sense. Now, it's not always what God's going to do because he does do things outside the box. But as a whole, like, common sense is the best sense. I mean, the book of Proverbs is 31 chapters of common sense for people who will seek the Lord and walk in humility. And he'll guide us. It's the book of wisdom. So he says, shall I go up to the cities of Judah? Now, he had a thought. He's thinking Judah. Makes sense. He's from Judah. It just makes sense that that's where his journey would begin, with Judah. He already sent the money, the advance deposit to the elders of Judah in the last uh, chapter there, the last two chapters of 1 Samuel. He invested that extra wealth toward his future. But then he says, uh, and the Lord says, yeah, yeah, you go up. Okay, so we know what we're going to do, but we don't know the details. Where shall I go up? There's a lot of parts of Judah. Like, there's a lot of little villages and towns. You know, Judah's the size of, like, Orange County. Where? Like, South County, San Clemente, or Yorba Linda, or Seal Beach before you cross the Los Angeles Cement River? Like, where? Where? Because if God told you Orange County, Orange County is a lot, a lot, a lot of space. Where? When we started this church, we said where, and we felt Fountain Valley. And we started out at New Hope Gymnastics, and that door closed, and God brought us here. But the what was the plan of church. The where was Fountain Valley with Chuck and Brian's blessings, and we landed here on a Saturday night. I didn't see that coming, but we're all still here 17 years later and going forward. So he had the what and the where, and it says that he went up from there with his two wives, and he brought all the men. So we have the who, who went with them. He had his team. He had his team. Most people, when they become, you know, when somebody becomes a new head coach of a football team, they bring in their offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. They have their team. When you work for a corporation, you get a new boss. It's very common. He comes in. He brings his team. And this is how we're going to run the offense. That's just Kind of how it works in life, right? Like, oh, you got a new boss. Oh, got a new team. This is just how it works sometimes. New boss comes in. They bring in their team. They build their team. You're from the old team. <laughs> it's like the writing's on the wall, right? Like it can go that way or you can acclimate and maybe you have a spot and maybe not. Like that's just That can be completely out of your control. When you inquire of the Lord about what God wants to do in your life, because you think, I think about my own life, okay, so I discerned the Lord calling me into ministry. From pro-surfing and all that, to being a pastor. That was big. Then Jennifer and I got married, and then we discerned the Lord calling us to go to Virginia Beach to start a church. Like That's a big deal to move 2,700 miles and start a church in the middle of, like, where there's it's just, there's more than you know to that story. And sometimes I tell you little snippets, but then we left that after four years, sold the house and moved to Vermont, where I worked minimum wage for a year. And we lived in poverty, truly poverty. We learned all the experiences there, how that works. Then we came back to California and took care of our mom. dying of a terminal illness. I worked in the flower business. I worked in a surf shop. I did these different things. I worked for Billabong. Then I was asked on staff at Big Calvary. I served with Pastor Jack for five years. Then felt called to start at Calvary Chapel in Fountain Valley. And thus we're here, 17 years. Felt called to teach, coach the U.S. surf team. Remember, I had a devotion one morning, the Lord said, I'm going to open up a door through the surf industry. I came to work, there was a phone message, the president of USA Surfing asked me to become the coach of the U.S. surf team in 2007. That was crazy. I had the nuts. i Lord, obviously. And when the pastors and deacons, we all prayed and confirmed it, we went for it. Then I was called to let go of the US surf team, do the movie, and I went to England with Jeremy Foster. We showed the movie in England, then I became the coach of the British team. Then we felt called to take the Spanish version to Chile, and I went to Chile with Hector, and then I was called to be the coach of the Chilean team and built our entire Olympic program. And then I let go of that, and then lo and behold, full circle, I'm back with the US team. I do the US team. We win gold with the team you least expected to happen with. I become a world champion coach. Then all the money comes in on the Olympic coach, and then I'm a pastor, and that's not a good fit. And here we are now. What a journey. We need to inquire of the Lord. You need to let him write our story, and we need to let inquire of him. And when we inquire of the Lord, there are six essential things. Because I always say that God has the right person in the right place at the right time. I've said that for years. So we think about ministry, men, women, he has the right person in the right place at the right time. Boom, bah, Pastor Chuck with the Calvary Movement when it took off, right? Like, right person, right place, right time. It just all goes your way. Sometimes it just goes that way. You invested in the right things at the right time. Right person, right place, right time. So that's who, where, when. Right person, right place, right time is who, who it is, where they are, and when. But there's three other essentials that we need to ask ourselves, what it is we're doing, how we're going to do it, and why. Those are the six. And I mentioned this to When you learn a foreign language, you learn, you know, donde, okay? You know, like, you just, you, cuando, cuando, you know, like, you just have to learn those words. Like, those are basic words, like, donde, where? Adonde el baño, right? Where's the bathroom? Like, Okay, ¿Qué pasa? What's happening, right? Like, like, you have to learn those words. That's the basic thing you get I, in, in a language is, is what, where, who, how, when, and why. And when you're going forward in life in those big, big, when you're, and so it begins, we need to go before the Lord and really frame the decisions with those six things. Lord, what am I called to do? How am I going to do it? Where am I going to do it? When am I going to do it? With whom am I going to do it? That's your team. That's a whole other, that could be a summer series. And why? Because that's the big one, the motives. Why am I doing this? Why am I playing in a church in Fountain Valley 17 years ago? Why are we at a Baptist church? Because let me tell you, the first year we were here, all my former pastor friends at Big Calvary, they'd ask me, that, why are you doing a church one mile from Big Calvary? So it's good to know your why. Because God called me to. Why are you in a Baptist church? Just to mess with you. (laughs) Because I'm Joey Brand. (laughs) I'm just messing with you. Do a dance off. You know, like, why? Because this is what the Lord's called me to do. That's why. Why are you at church for 17 years on a Saturday night? (laughs) Why are you still here? Because God's called us to be here and we're going to be here until He tells us not to be here. Why are you doing this? Because we love the Lord, because we love his people. We love these families. Ah, but it's a church like a military church. People come and go all the time. Yeah, and that's okay, because I'm a military brat, and I grew up in the military. Why is really important. What's the motive? What am I doing, and why? Why, am, why are we moving? Why am I taking this job? Why am I walking away from this job? Why am I buying this house? Why am I investing in this venture capital thing? Why is a really good question to ask ourselves when we look in the mirror because it's really about our motives. So even though this text doesn't really show the why, it's still in there. My home is in Bethlehem. My parents are in Moab. I want to go back to our region. I want to get my parents and bring them back to their land. They're in exile. That's why. Why? there the and so when you think about seeking the Lord and that and so it begins when you're stepping up into a whole new beginning a whole new destiny you seek the Lord and you ask you ask yourselves yourself I, I have all these things in my phone all my notes are my phone now it's super helpful I just review them actually every day my goals and my notes notes from books just always putting the right stuff in just framing it right just keeping it positive but I read the word, everything. First thing in the morning, I read God's word, and then I just, I fill my mind with good things from there that's consistent and measured by his word. And I, I have, like, the vision statements and what's, you know, the next thing, the most important thing, and it helps me stay on track. The big thing, the plan of action, it just helps me stay on track. I have to, because I get distracted so easy. I have to manage my time and be Lord. I need to accept stewardship of my time and let Jesus be Lord over my time, because I get distracted so easily. Like, I, It's crazy how easily I get distracted. So we seek the Lord, and we we really, in a journal or somewhere, you see, right now, what do I think God's calling us to do? Where, when, why, how are we going to do it, and with who? He will guide you. He will guide you for your walk with the Lord, for your relationships with the Lord, for your finances, for your service in the church. He will guide you. And it's, never, it's not always the same, right? It's not always the same. How he leads you this way in that financial decision, he says, do it this way. But you may come back now do it that way. Now do, do it this way. You just don't know. So he knows. So let him guide you in the kingdom, in the relationships, and the stewardship of time, space, and matter. Invite the Lord to be over those six things, and it will be well with us in the journey of life, and we will always be going forward and will always be going from glory to glory by faith if we let the Lord answer those questions and guide those things and just keep shaping it and molding it and refining it and evaluating it But just keep going forward. Now, the second thing we see is promotion comes from the Lord. In verses 4 through 7, so he's there in this burned-out city, and you're thinking, okay, we're definitely transitory right now. We can't live here, but where are we going to go? So God says, you're going to go. You can do this. Okay, so now how is this going to work? And then, boom, promotion comes from the Lord. God brings these men of Judah, and they come to David, and in front of the 600 men, the wives, the kids, They do publicly what Samuel did privately. They proclaim before all men what Samuel had to do in hiding in the house of Jesse in Bethlehem so many years before. They publicly anoint him with oil. They confirm and ratify and say yes and amen to what Samuel, the greatest of all prophets, did prior to David in his life when he was a teenager. Like at high school graduation, and now he's a man in a man's world. And they anoint him with the oil in front of everybody. And they affirm, they see, now listen, this is important. There's 11 tribes that don't see it. Or they do see it and they're fighting it. Hmm. Yeah. Because Abner knows David's called to be the king. He's going to say later on, we know you're called to be the king. He just wasn't willing to let him be his king. Because people hold on to their empires. People hold on to their paycheck. They hold on to their monthly. Paycheck to paycheck. They hold on to their position of power because that's their source of livelihood. So you're gonna take a known dysfunction like Abner and say, Well, you know, I'm I'm the commander, I'm gonna take Ishabeth, he might be a knucklehead, but I'm gonna make him king. We're gonna, you know, because we control, hey, listen, Saul was the king, we'll replace him. That's a lot of wealth, that's eleven tribes, that's a lot, that's the size of Southern California, and let David do what he's gonna do, but hey. We're not going for the David thing. No, we're, we're not from the tribe of Judah We're Benjamites. And, you know, we, we've, we've built a business here. We've built a really good business. Saul is our guy. He was good looking, the tallest guy, the smartest guy. And around here, Saul's our guy. Now Saul's gone, but this is Saul's descendant. We're going to keep it going. We're going we're gonna to pump some life into this, okay? So this is our kingdom. We know you're anointed. We know you're called, but I'm not going to talk about it publicly. We're just going to do what we're going to do, and we're going to give the people an alternative to you. an anointed Ishabeth to be king when everyone knew, probably in the 11 tribes, that David truly was called to be king, but they're going to go for a known dysfunction that's already put food on their table over an unknown step of faith with a greater upgrade with the man David to become their king. These 11 tribes on this day rejected an upgrade to a much better leader than Saul. Because remember, if David had taken Saul's spear and put it through Saul, he would have just been the next Saul. But when he gave the spear back, he shows us this is a different man. This is a higher, this is a, this is a, these leaders come along once in a millennium. And you're going to put the puppet son of Saul in place so you can maintain your fading glory and wealth. And you're going to reject the man that God's anointed from the time he's a high schooler. What folly! What short-sightedness, And never be surprised when people are small-minded with God's calling on your life, because they, they, it's not what they're doing. It's why are they doing it? They're just trying to. They're trying to hang on. It you know, like, hey, we gotta let you go. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Whoever, get, like, when people let people go, they usually find something to blame them for, so they can justify themselves and sleep at night. And because we're human, it's not hard to find a reason to let any of us go from a job. Daughter of Eve, if you work somewhere for 20 years, there's some reasons you could get fired. And son of Adam, if you work somewhere for 20 years, there's a reason you could get fired. There's some reasons you could fire me from WG right now. But we're all going forward. But if you want to start cutting people, you just come up with reasons to let them go. And you justify yourself, and you hold on to what you got, and you throw them under the bus or appease your conscience with a huge severance or something, but you... You just do what you do. Never be surprised when people do that. That's human nature. You should be more surprised when they give you a really good severance and they send you out with high accolades. But that's very rare. This kingdom of Saul is a kingdom of the flesh, and it's a fading kingdom, and it's crumbling because it's maintained by people in the flesh, fighting the spirit. And it's really important when God's raising you up, and so it begins the next big thing, the next chapter in your life. Don't let small-minded people in the flesh fighting the things of the Spirit keep you from going forward with the next obvious thing God has for you. Promotion comes from the Lord. So in the end, Abner and those guys, it doesn't even matter. What matters is God made you king of one of 12 tribes, Judah. So don't focus on the 11 tribes that you're not over. Focus on the tribe that you are over. Don't focus that you didn't get all of this to manage and you feel like you're ready for it after what you've been through for 13 years with salt chasing all over the world and ruining your life. Focus on what God has given you. Be faithful with one tribe. So often in business, we realize someone's an office manager before they're COO or CFO or CEO or whatever. You know, like, so you, 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 know you, you show yourself. Like in Starbucks, you're like a shift lead and then you're like a, a shift manager and then you're a DM and all that kind of stuff. And you work your... Like, you know, you you, you might know how to run Starbucks, that, that Starbucks, better than anyone else in the entire system of Southern California. But you're just a shift lead. And you're just going to need to put in the time, do the job, and decide whether or not you want to play this game with Schultz and his people and SBX on on the Wall Street, their little you know their thing and play their game and that's what you want to do, you then you're gonna do it. And maybe you will rise up like that. Brandon Staley, the coach of the Chargers, he was the defensive coordinator for the Rams the year before he became the head coach of the Chargers. Like most people become a offensive line coach in football, then the offensive coordinator and maybe defensive coordinator, and then you work your way up and then so lo and behold, you're the head coach. There's a process And the promotion comes from the Lord. Like John the Baptist said about Jesus and the people following him, a man can receive nothing, and we can say a woman as well, can receive nothing unless it comes from the Lord. Promotion comes from the Lord. So if you don't get the promotion, that's from the Lord. If you don't think God's bigger than your boss not giving the promotion, how are we going to trust him to raise us from the grave? God's bigger than nepotism. God's bigger than all the agendas and craftiness that men do that control power. We have to wake up and believe God's bigger than that. If I'm meant to have this job, I'm going to have this job. It's just that simple. My son with Hyundai, Luke, you know, he's 22. He's interviewing for jobs where all the men interviewing for are in their upper 30s and have 15 years experience in the car industry as executives. He crushes interviews, all of them. Gets down to him and the guy that's a career guy. And they chose Luke. Promotion comes from the Lord. Promotion comes from the Lord for you for your children, for me. You know, it really hurt me when my kids were graduating high school and Luke, when Luke had his AA from OCC and he couldn't get into San Diego State or Long Beach State. Straight A student. My kid was a straight A student at a community college not get accepted to San Diego State and Long Beach State. Maybe because he took on his leftist professors. And he did, without emotion, as a matter of fact. His stories from OCC are insane, the things he said in a public school classroom. He's unaffected by how anyone responds. We say this about Luke. He's got something we don't have, and he's missing something we do. And if I just couldn't go through what he would go through with rejection in a classroom, it doesn't even bother him at all. But I was was upset when my son Luke couldn't go to San Diego State as a straight-A student. And he at GCU, crushed it, met his wife, and the rest is history. Timmy was going to go to Point Loma Nazarene, but he couldn't get the ROTC. That was his dream, his whole time in high school, to be a Marine, an officer, and be ROTC. Like... It, didn't, it wasn't the Lord. He went to Cal Maritime, and now he drives these ships and whale watch, all this stuff, and his career is, can transfer anywhere in the world. His license, his skills, he can drive the big yachts in Miami, he can drive the Catalina Cruiser, he can drive these giant oil tankers. God gave him a life skill that he's using. I was just mad he wasn't going to get to be a marine. Semper for Hoorah! I was not happy about that. He let it go. No, I'm upset. But parents have to learn promotion comes from the Lord for your children. We wanted to, you know, we want to defend our children when they're treated wrong at work, and we want to. How did you look, overlook him for the job? You want to go down there and, you know, you want to call Hyundai in Denver and give him a of your mind? It don't. Promotion comes from the Lord because Jesus is bigger than Hyundai executives in Denver or anywhere he's bigger than your boss wherever you work and we need to understand that he's 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 bigger than the HOA people where you live like promotion comes from the Lord the Lord promotes us he will promote you and we need to trust him for his promotion and that's something we need to understand because so often we feel wronged when we don't get the promotion or we felt like I thought I was gonna be in charge of I thought I was gonna be the sales rep for all San Diego County and they gave me Carlsbad Oceanside and Vista like what's that all about True story, and you just feel wrong. Like, man, I get everything in this company. They give me Carlsbad, Oceanside, Vista. Like, I did. I was going to get all of San Diego. Now these these guys, oh, it's the relative. They get Encinitas and Del Mar and Solana Beach where all the money is in Del Mar, and I get Oceanside and Vista. Oh, I see how it is. But promotion comes from the Lord. We want to let the leaders of Judah come down to you, where you live in your workplace in your world. Pull out the anointing oil and pour it over your head. That's way better than demanding the boss pour it on your head. It's much better to let the Lord promote you because when he doesn't promote you, he's protecting you or keeping you from things he doesn't have for you. Promotion comes from the Lord. Let him close those doors. Let him bring out the anointing oil from the leaders of Judah. You know you're headed that way. And just let them show up. Let them pour the oil on you and enter into what you have. And don't be upset that it's not 12 tribes. It's just one. Just step up, go for it, and bring your A game. Bring your best to it. A lot of guys went out to plant churches from Calvary Chapel in the last 40 years. They thought they'd be pastoring huge churches in two years, just like Pastor Chuck. You know, like in the, nine, in the 80s and 90s, like the Calvary movement, you like, plant the flag and they all come. Like, that was kind of the mindset. Hey, we got a dove. We got Chuck tapes. Here we go. We got to pastor a huge church. They guess we to speak at the conferences. <laughs> Listen, man, a lot of guys got whacked. And it didn't go that way. And some quit. Actually, probably more did than not. But some stayed. If God calls you to pastor a large church, you pastor a large church. I'm not sure you'd want to, but you could. We should be content and faithful in what he's called us to do. And that's really what it comes down to. The anointing oil is on the promotion he gives us where he's placed us. And to be faithful in that in the moment is really what it's all about with the Lord. To step into the next season with the anointing oil on you and to be doing what he's opened up to you, to the degree he's opened up to you, that's, that's obedience and that's the step of faith. And so inquire, get those six things, those six boxes checked and then get after it And trust the Lord for the promotion. He'll give you the promotion. And as we were singing with Scott beforehand, all the songs are about eternity. We know that it's all going to be made right in eternity anyways. But don't, yeah, just don't don't worry about the other 11 tribes that you weren't put in charge of. If you know that's part of the vision, that's okay. Just go forward with what has opened up to you and be faithful in it. And I'm talking to myself. Finally, we see the third thing is there in verses 8 through 11. We mentioned um, Abner and Ishaboth before, and now we come back to them. You know, you could get upset about Abner and Ishaboth. I think it's interesting. Going back to the Calvary Chapel movement in the 80s and 90s, when a lot of guys went out to start churches, pretty much what happened is guys would pick prime locations where there's no Calvary chapels, and inevitably two or three guys would try and go back there and plant a church at the same time. So it would be the guy down the street you follow me? The guy down the street. And you know, people don't like you, they go to the guy down the street. Now, here in Orange County, you have lots of choices. You don't like me, you got like 40 Calvary chapels, right? And if you don't like them, you can come see me, right? Like, uh, but when you're the, there's two Calvary chapels in a city of a half a million people, and someone's upset with you, they go down to the guy down the street. And then they slander you to the guy down the street. It can happen in Bakersfield, it can happen in Virginia Beach, it can happen anywhere. So what are you going to do? Ishaboth's down there with Abner telling him what to do because he's smarter than Ishaboth, He's the guy really in control. And they're in competition with you. They're discrediting you to every other person from every other tribe. Or what are you going to do? Like, seriously, if you're David, what can you do about Ishabath? You reached out to Gilead like, hey, you guys are great to Saul. Look, God's, these guys have anointed me. We're going forward. You want to be a part of this? And like, no, we want to be part of your team. We got our own thing down here. We're first church of Ishabeth. <laughs> we got a better building too. Our AC is better. We got a better children's ministry. We actually have youth in our youth ministry. This is the first church of Ishabeth. Because we have a remnant of a previous glory that someone else built. You gotta build yours from start. Isn't that interesting? Ishabeth only had to ride on the fumes of what was already in place by someone greater that came before him. David had to build from the foundation. People knew the brand of Ishebeth. David had to build his brand and put it out there. No one really knew what kind of a head coach or quarterback David is, what kind of administrator he is. David's not a proven stock. The stock of Saul, though declining, is still a safe stock. We can trust in the first church of Ishebeth. Not so f- sure about the first church of David. Let's see what he, how he does with his own tribe and his own people. Isn't life like that? Have you ever experienced that? People will take a, I've learned this, man, in 61 years, people will take a known dysfunction over a step of faith to a better function. David is an upgrade for anyone that wants to join his team. And he was inclusive like Jesus. The one who comes to me, I'll by no means cast out. What did David say here? Hey, the one that comes to me, I'll by no means Cast out. He was inviting them to be the men of Jabeth Gilead. Hey, he commended them. I'm with you guys. We're going forward. You want the part of it? like, no, nah, we're gonna, we're gonna go with this. And that's the way it was. So as you're going forward, and so it begins, and the uh, stepping up into destiny and always forward, you realize that like you just have to trust in the process of the Lord and know that he allows Abner and Ishabeth to be down the street. And you gotta know that he's allowing seven and a half years to teach you something now. You thought, do I kind of get a like a pass on this one? Because 13 years with Saul trying to ruin my life? Actually, no, that was then. That's like double-A-baseball. This is a big league ball. You gotta learn new things now. Isn't that how life is each level you move up and each thing you go through in your marriage as you get older with kids, adult kids? Like you just, you just keep going from glory to glory and growing and learning, hopefully. That's what. Christ wants to do in our life. But you get old and you realize you have to trust the process. It's always forward, and the Lord gives promotion, and we're seeking the Lord, but we have to trust the process. And what I like about seven and a half years, it's pretty random and it's little by little. David's not ready to be king over twelve tribes, evidently. And David needs to learn something now, not from running from someone pursuing him, but living next door to the ones who are trying to undermine him. There's a difference. Someone trying to pursue you for your life is one thing. Someone down the street trying to undermine you is another. One's life-threatening. The other's just an arduous, fingernails on the chalkboard that you wake up every day and it doesn't go away. (laughs) Right down there. First church of Ishabeth. People show up and say, hey, do you hear what Ishbeth's up to? No, I haven't. Do tell. Right? You know what I'm talking about? What are you going to do? Who knows? Maybe some of David's Judah people defected to Ishbeth. Who can know? We don't know. But we do know that God allowed Ishbeth to be king down the street and continue the kingdom of Saul in a different way than David had known when Saul was trying to destroy him. And we do know that God allowed that kingdom to exist that he didn't reign over those 11 tribes for seven and a half years so if we say a a young man has to learn in his 20s that no one gets paid to be cool well a young man in his 30s has to realize evidently as you get older you've got to get a lot wiser you can't just be strong you got to you got to get smart no one pays to be cool you learn that in your 20s and then in your 30s you realize i got to get smart And i got to get better. And the women, you got to learn that too. Sons of Adam just need a little more help with it. David wasn't ready. Which tells us again in this final thought, WG, we need to trust the process. We need to trust the process. David went to bed every night for for seven and a half years knowing that when he was anointed by Samuel the prophet, it wasn't to be the king of one tribe is be the king of 12. And yet again, he has to just wait on the Lord for God's timing to prepare him. We need to trust the process. Trust the process. The Lord is over the process. Don't worry about what's going on in their lane, or as they say in Hawaii, their kuleana, their mango grove. Focus on your kuleana, your mango grove, and what's going on in your lane. And I'll close with this thought on this. Be the king of Judah, Be that king. Instead of worrying about what you're not, the king of all Israel, be the king of Judah. Be that person. Carry yourself like that person. Be that woman. Hey, you may not be the head coach, but you're the offensive coordinator. Show up on time. Do the job. Have a plan. Run the offense. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Timmy comes over and shows us all the charger videos from training camp. They're out there. You know, hey, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Hey, what's that? Hey, hey, it goes this way right here. You got to cut right there. Let's go. Run your offense be you and be the best you for the king of judah be you become that person be that person in the lord be that disciple of jesus christ be that husband be that dad be that grandfather be that steward be that person be the person that you're meant to be where you are to the fullest capacity you can be through humility and faith in jesus christ and the anointing of the holy spirit be that person and maybe if we focus on being the king we're meant to be in judah We will become the king we're meant to be for all Israel. Be that king. So WG, there are changes, and we've been through a lot. And some of you, tremendous changes. And people that listen on K-Wave, I know a lot of people have gone through a lot of changes as well. It's like spring training with baseball. It's hitting, fielding, and pitching. It always comes back to fundamentals. Put the Lord first. Let him confirm those six key things for these big decisions. Let him confirm it, and he will, because he will not have wisdom, he'll give it to us. So he promises to confirm those things. Let him promote us, and let's trust him in the process wherever he's taking us. Little by little, even if it's seven and a half years when we thought it should be tomorrow.